The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In order to thrive in today's competitive business market, you need to constantly adapt to change. In other words, reinvent yourself and your company. Welcome to Business Reinvention with host Nancy Lynn. This hour will have you listening to and thinking like the successful business leaders of today. Now, here is your host, Nancy Lynn. Hello and welcome to Business Reinvention. I'm Nancy Lynn. Thanks for joining me for another of our discussions on business innovation. To me, innovation has a lot to do with asking thought-provoking questions. For instance, what comes to your mind when you think of a fly? Probably not so pretty things. But if I ask you, what can we learn from a fly? Well, that might trigger a different reaction. It might pick your curiosity um, and lead to some new possibilities. And in fact, that's exactly what a Swiss company did. It developed a compact and energy-efficient sensor based on what it was learned um, or what you learned from the flies. And an Australian student developed a moisture capture and water irrigation system based on what he learned from beetles. So there is a world inspiration in nature that most of us have not yet paid much attention to. But now more and more companies, including Apple and Ideal, are starting to discover how understanding nature and the living organisms in the ecosystem can lead to innovation. The process of finding inspiration from nature to solve human problems is called biomimicry. It's a field that is gaining momentum and may even help drive the next wave of innovative breakthroughs. So what's happening in the field of biomimicry and how can you tap into it? That's the focus of today's show. And joining me are Chris Allen, CEO of Biomimicry 3.8, a leader in Biomimicry Innovation Training and Consulting Services, and Anthony Brennan, CTO and founder of Shocklight Technologies. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Nancy. It's great to join you. Thank you, Nancy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for being here. Um, let's start with Chris. So I just started um, with the definition of biomimicry. Um, so can you tell us how to put it to work? Sure. Uh, our definition of biomimicry is uh, along the lines of the conscious emulation of nature's genius. So when we begin to unpack that phrase, it gives us some clues on where we focus uh, our approach. So we say conscious emulation, meaning that it's a, there's a very strong intent to learn about the natural world and begin to use the, the science and the biology that we've gathered over the last 100 years to begin to understand the systems, the processes, the forms in the natural world that can, that can guide our design thinking. We have a couple of different approaches that we use in, in uh, how we do that, um, or, or three facets of, pra- of practicing biomimicry. We say there's first the emulation phase, which are the hard skills of looking into the natural world, of taking biology, and extrapolating it to design principles. And there's a whole methodology around that. There's also another piece of this that we call reconnect, and that's being able to reconnect to place and really understand how designs can become locally attuned and how we're really designing for a local ecosystem so that we're gaining high performance and we're basically leveraging often billions of years of of evolutionary pressure in in a place. And then lastly, we have a framework that's around ethos or the values of biomimicry where we, we begin to value nature and the natural world, not only for the uh, incredible services that it provides us as natural resources, but also look at it as, as a gigantic design library full of ideas for the future and, and helping our society uh, solve the complex challenges we face going forward. Wow. It sounds like there are a lot of different ways of tapping into this. Um, so on a very high level, 
What types of industries and problems have you seen the most applications of biomimicry strategy so far? We're starting to see a lot of, um, of various applications and in, in industries uh, gaining interest in, in biomimicry. Probably first and foremost, where we started was in the built environment with architecture. And we see that architects and uh, architectural engineers have a lot of affinity for forms in the natural world. And that's, that's certainly not new. That's for hundreds of years, architects have looked for inspiration in, in, the, in the natural world. I think what's different now in the architecture and built environment is we're able to deeply model and understand uh, forms and structure from the natural world and be able to replicate that in everything from our, our building designs to building components and now even to large-scale planning of human systems or large urban systems planning. As we begin to think of, uh, of our built environment less and less as what we call overlaid systems, but more and more as integral parts of the ecosystems in which they're, they're, they're embedded. So that, architecture and design is, is certainly a, a rapidly growing field in biomimicry. Another one that's, that's, that's very interesting is the, is the chemical fields. Um, chemistry is, is uh, facing a lot of uh, barriers and hurdles as we're beginning to understand some of the um, environmental challenges and dangers of some of the chemical compounds that we've been designing and releasing into the environment over the last um, you know, 100 years in our industrial revolution. What biomimicry teaches us is that uh, in the natural world, um, all the chemistry that's, that we see and all the incredible things that nature does is all in water-based chemistry. There are no solvents. There are no toxicological uh, compo- uh, compounds uh, that, that, that nature uses to build. So a huge growth field for us is in something we call replacement chemistries with companies that are looking to phase out old chemical compounds that are toxic and dangerous and, and uh, perhaps uh, not, not all that uh, high-performing and begin to replace them with biochemical or green chemical uh, compounds that are, that are much more environmentally benign, often perform better, are cheaper to manufacture and have no, no waste or byproducts. So those are two examples of industries where we're uh, really beginning to see some, uh, some uptake and, and deepening interest in biomimicry. So, Tony, I guess shock-like um, technology is a good example of biomimicry design. So, can you tell us a little bit about your invention and how you got the idea for it? Yes. Um, Chocolate Technologies is a company whose um, intellectual property is based upon a topographical or a pattern that we imprint onto uh, material systems. <clears throat> Excuse me. And these material systems... Um, initially are directed at uh, biomedical applications, but the technology itself is based upon my studies in the marine environment in an attempt to develop a non-toxic, non-fouling, or sorry, anti-fouling technology that would not influence the environment, i.e. it would not put anything into the environment that is currently the basis for anti-fouling or foul-releasing paints that they put on ships. And what I discovered um, through studies uh, attempting to evaluate topographies was that the shark is an example of a very complex topography based upon uh, small scales that are called denticles or teeth-like structures on the skin of the shark. And these denticles have a very interesting pattern that's arranged in a diamond shape. And what I did was adapt that to a two-dimensional pattern, so you could put it onto a film as a single plane, and it's very effective at inhibiting the attachment and migration of bacteria. So this technology is being looked at for a variety of different medical devices, um, which should be, should be in the testing phase very shortly. Yeah, so I think this is also um, very uh, relevant, very much echo what Chris just said um, about, you know, kind of um, borrowing the forms um, and shapes from nature, but also creating a solution that does not have negative impact um, on environment, um, which I think is a great promise that biomimicry brings to um, innovation. Uh, so what was the question that you asked? Tony, that finally led you to the discovery in a hot moment? Because there are a lot of different animals in nature, right? So right. how do you know where to look? Well, that's, <laughs> that was an interesting time when we were um, systematically looking at some very simple patterns, if you will. And we were in Pearl Harbor, 
So it was uh, fascinating for me to be able to be in Pearl Harbor, but we were at the water and evaluating panels that were in the water, and a large nuclear submarine was leaving Pearl Harbor. And I noticed as it was going out, number one, how large it is. Number two, it looked to me like a whale going out. And number three, it was covered with green algae, which is what the first thing I was trying to stop. So I just started asking the question of all the biologists that were with me about the different animals in the water. And it's fascinating when you start looking at it. The the whale most people have seen is usually covered with a a large amount of fouling uh, in the form of barnacles and sponges and algae. And the whale actually, I I understand, uh, breaches out of the water and hits itself to try to break that off. So I was looking at the whale, and it's a mammal, and it pumps oil out of its skin. It's a very interesting structure, but again, it's fouled. So that wasn't a good model. So I just started going through the animals and uh, looked at uh, dolphins, which are porpoises, most people call them, uh, also another mammal, and uh, fast-moving and constantly moving. And it's fairly smooth, but again, it pumps a lot of oil out, and we didn't want to release anything. So I kept looking. And uh, the manatees from Florida, which is uh, often called the sea cow, they're slow-moving, and they live in both saltwater and freshwater, and they're fouled. So turtles are fouled. It's amazing when you start looking at just how many are. And so I got to the sharks. When I asked the question about the sharks, everybody said, well, it's a fast-moving. But there's actually the small um, nurse sharks that sit in just currents, like a ship would be sitting next to the dock. It's very low currents, but they just let the current sweep by them and they eat through that manner. Um, And when I asked the question, uh, it led me to saying, well, those don't foul and they're not releasing anything to our knowledge. So that's how we ended up looking at the shark skin. Wow. Yeah, that was a great question. You know, what animals does not foul? Um, So that kind of led you to a discovery uh, very interesting. Um, so now that we're talking about shark, and you also mentioned how shark swims very fast, um, it kind of reminds me of the speedo swimsuit that Michael Phelps wore in Beijing Olympics, which is called shark suit. And I think it's probably also a biomimicry design, and it, it, from what I understand, imitate the way sharks move through waters. And I think earlier in the show, um, I also talked about the compact sensor, and the company realized that flies with tiny heads little tiny heads, have very efficient way of sensing its environment with 360-degree panoramic view. Um, and going back to what Chris was saying about architecture, there's also something called inertia homes that actually heat and cool themselves uh, without heaters by imitating the way Earth traps and distributes um, the sun's energy by thermal current. And so just want to share, you know, there are definitely a lot of cool ideas out there um, that, is, um, that are leveraging biomimicry. So, Chris, what do you think are the characteristics of biomimicry um, products um, as opposed to products developed based on other innovation approaches? One of the things that we're working on with clients is to begin to look at products as a part of a larger system. Uh, we, we use a framework called Life's Principles to begin to envision how companies themselves can act like organisms in a greater ecology. Because when we were working on uh, clients, and we've been working with clients for about 14 years, what we notice is if we were just focused on a, on a particular product or, or, or a component of a product, that we were missing a lot of opportunities to uh, kind of have a greater impact in innovation. So we began to imagine um, how could we, we begin to talk with companies and relate to companies that um, just working at the product design level is, is, is necessary but insufficient. In other words, how can we begin to work systematically on supply chains, on operations, on the vision and values of the company and over the long time, uh, over the long term, have deeper impact on how they develop products, how they approach the marketplace, and how those products interact with the the environment in which they're going to be released. So, this is kind of front edge thinking or leading edge thinking, and how we're approaching clients uh, these days. And it's less on the product design side and much more at a systemic level. If that gets to your question. 
Yeah, and I think just like many scientists told me before, you know, a lot of time when they borrow ideas from nature, it, because they are time-tested solutions, so they tend to be, you know, better thought out, and um, the designs tend to be um, more elegant, and like you said, it, a lot of time address environmental issues and supply chain issues. So really holds a lot of promise. And it looks like we have to um, take a break right now, but please stay tuned and we will be right back after this short break. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. All right, so you're listening to Business Reinvention. We're back from a break. Um, so before that, we're just starting to talk about how different companies are applying biomimicry strategy to their product innovation. Um, so Chris, and actually this question is for both of you. So one thing I'm noticing from this discussion so far is how you know, the, the process of developing biomimicry design often starts with a goal to solve a predefined problem. Whereas in other fields such as um, bioscience, um, the scientists may have started with or without a market or specific problems in mind and maybe just the goal to gain knowledge. Um, is that an accurate description of the difference and how do you see the difference or how are they related to each other? Um, let's start with Chris first. Yes, in our case, clients often come to us with a very specific design challenge that they're trying to solve. Often it's uh, sustainability related. Uh, Sometimes it's more of a a functional uh, problem that they haven't been able to crack with their, with their typical or or status quo uh, innovation process. So they come to us, uh, come to us thinking that maybe nature and the natural world could provide some novel ideas. And one of the first things we do with them is is to help them reframe their their challenge. Oftentimes, the the challenge is is worded and framed in a way that's uh, the typical way of approaching that product or process. One of the first things that we do is we begin to what we call biologize the question, and that is a, a, basically a reframing. And we say, how could we reframe this challenge in a way that unlocks the biological world, the biological uh, reference data that would begin to uh, add relevance or add new ideas to this specific design challenge. Let me give you an example. Let's say for, uh, for argument's sake that a company comes to us and says, we'd really like to work on novel, approach, novel biodegradable approaches to um, uh, removing uh, uh, something that's fouling a surface or let's say this, that's uh, creating corrosion on a, on a wall surface. What we typically do is, is we don't necessarily look at a wall surface or a building component. We begin to ask questions like, how would nature prevent um, a calcium-based corrosion on a, a porous surface? And as we begin to ask those kind of questions, we take it out of the context that, that the industry typically looks at it, and we begin to broaden the, the solution set around it. And we say nature prevents this type of buildup by doing these things in the natural world. And by, by, again, by biologizing the question, it, it really helps the, uh, the people that are looking for an innovation widen their, 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 uh, their vision on what the, what the problem is and what the, how, how, what the solution set could be and allows us to bring really novel ideas to the table and, and, and demonstrate ways in which nature has uh, solved this in, in many different regards. So that's, that's our typical approach to it. So first is formulating 
um, a powerful question, right? Um, then I would assume after that, you know, if the information is not already available, you have to go out to nature and observe. And so I think observation skill is very critical to innovation, not just in biomimicry, but at the same time, it's also very lacking in the business world because we we are also very busy, and a lot of people seem to have a hard time being present in the moment. So, is that a skill that you help your client develop? I mean, is that a skill that can be developed or trained? Yeah, that's a lot of what we do for clients. Is um, it's a translating skill. So we begin to work with non-biologists to help them understand and have access to enough biology that could inform new decision-making, new vision, uh, new ways of seeing the world or their design challenge in a way that is often very profound for them. Um, a lot of what our practice of biomimicry is, is taking really complicated ideas in biology and, and translating them so that a, particularly a designer or somebody that's working to try to reimagine a, 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 a product or a system or a process uh, how, how they can understand enough, bio, enough of the biology to, to catalyze a new way of thinking. And so uh, that does take new forms of observation, but it also takes new forms of language so that the designer can begin to speak to one of our, what we call biologists at the design table. And these are uh, biologists that are specifically trained to, to take biology and complicated ideas in biology and make them uh, relatively simple and relatively accessible and relevant to um, industrial designers, architects, product designers, chemical engineers, and so forth. Mm. So it sounds like really important to have the presence of biologists um, during the process. Um, so Tony, uh, can you share with us your experience um, with chocolate? Um, you know, once you found the insight about sharks, that gave you a framework or maybe hypothesis uh, for how to solve your problem. Just like Chris said, you would have to translate that concept into product solution. So what were the challenges that you ran into as you try to emulate nature's idea, and how did you overcome that? Well, um, first I wanted to comment, if I could. Uh, Chris's statement is, is very important for everybody to recognize is that uh, it's, it's critical how you ask a question and whether you're in the right uh, vernacular or language. Uh, to be able to get communication going with the people and the biology side of it. And as an example, we had the, uh, the way we actually discovered that we had the ability to inhibit bacteria was not by looking at the sharks, but it was when we tried these patterns against tube worms, and that was at the University of Hawaii again. And we found the first time we did it, the, there were no tube worms on the sharklet surface, and the scientist there, for, who's also being funded by the Office of Naval Research, he stated, well, there must be something wrong with our bugs, so we'll try it again. They did it a second time, and there were no tube worms again. And so I got the samples back, and I just asked the question. I said, uh, was there any bacteria on the surface? And the reason is, is that particular tube worm uh, larvae stage needs bacteria before it'll settle on the surface. And sure enough, there was no bacteria on the surface. And so that led us into me taking some E. coli and testing it. And when I had the student do it, I said, go culture some bacteria on the surface. And he couldn't do it and couldn't do it. And finally came back and told me he couldn't. And then it struck me, oh, this is an antibacterial surface. And so the problem we were after was anti-fouling, but what it led us to is looking at anti-fouling for a biomedical device. So it's, I think the, the discussion Chris was leading is, is excellent in terms of pointing out. We just have to be very, we have to be excellent observers, but we've got to keep asking a question, and we've got to be open to the opportunities to apply the technology in many different places. Yeah, think, you might yeah, you might zigzag during the process. It may not come out exactly what you saw, but you may exactly. actually have another great discovery. Um, so that's a very important point. But once then you started to kind of you know tune you know zoom in in terms of what you're going to try to solve. So how do you replicate, right? So how did you come about you know finding I guess the other materials that you could replicate what nature does, and you know what, what was that process like? So that's, that is a major challenge for the dimensions that we're working at because our patterns are about one-tenth the size of a normal shark's denticles. 
and as such, we're at the micron level, and manufacturing at the micron level is a major challenge. You can manufacture very nicely at the 10 micron level, but when you get into the single microns, it becomes a serious challenge. And so we have we have worked uh, with a number of very um, productive, innovative partners to transfer our pattern to many large scales. And the first thing that we've been uh, producing are what we call safe touch. And this is produced on film in 20,000 foot lengths and upwards of 200 inches in width. So we're able to do this uh, in processes that are well known, but the key was how to produce the uh, dyes and everything that go into that process. And so that's developed whole new technologies for us that we're, um, we're in the process of getting intellectual property uh, finalized on. So Chris, it seems like a really huge jump from that original aha moment that we got from nature to actually translating into something we can produce. Um, what are other common challenges that company run into and what suggestion do you have for them? Yeah, it's, it's quite a long road, uh, as we all know, in, in going from a, a concept or an early idea to an actually commercialized product. And uh, in biomimicry, we face the same challenges that, that all companies do in that innovation process. So it's uh, time and money and risk, and, um, and oftentimes in biomimicry, it's, it's such a novel idea that it's, it sometimes faces internal obstacles or, or uh, maybe a lack of credibility because it's coming from from far afield, let's say, for in some corporate environments. So we face a wide range of challenges, and, and our typical success pattern um, suggests that if we have the right type of internal champions in the company that will really stick with it and really believe in the, in the project and will continue fi- continually find ways to invest and overcome obstacles and surmount risk and uh, surmount uh, kind of... Um, uh, internal obstacles will say that that's those are the pathways to success. And uh, but again, I want to reframe and, and restate that it's not easy, and uh, it, it does take time, and uh, and it's not always successful. Yeah. So you point out something really important to you know to have internal support. Um, and on the scientific side, um, you know, how do you? Um, go about actually finding you know different options of potentially translating or realizing that idea that we learn from nature. For us, it's an iterative process. We work with a, a framework that we call our amoeba to zebra um, research methodology, or A to Z. And so we typically start with a client, uh, you know, asking those questions like Tony mentioned, where we're really trying to get down to the crux of what we're solving for. And the more precise we can get with that, the more precise we can be in our biological research and uh, beginning to assemble ideas that, that, that a company can respond to. So once we have that, those kind of critical functions that we're solving for, we can go out and do uh, what we call our, our first round of amoeba to zebra research, where we begin to identify the organisms and the biological research that's existing that would support um, at least some connection or some relevance of that biological model to the, to the design challenge that we're trying to solve for. And then it's a matter of iteration, and this is really where the art comes in, art of biomimicry, and that's relating these ideas in biology to to the function that we're trying to get to. And that's that's an iterative, uh, creative, and um, you know quite a language challenge between the biologists and the product designers. So there's a um, a learning curve, there's um, a culture curve, there's a lot of things that goes on, but there's also a lot of value created there. And as we iterate through those um, models that we've discovered after our research, we're able to then hone in on the ones that, are, that have the most promise. And so we'll go from maybe um, 100 biological references that could be relevant, you know, and we try to take that down to 10, and then eventually we'll get to one or two that the company really wants to invest in as a potential um, solution pathway or solution platform that we could begin to deeply invest in. And that's where we then go do and, and do the deep dive in, into that biology and, and uh, try to find the best and brightest in the world in terms of researchers that could back up a, a really what we call a deep dive in the, in the science around that and try to take that information and make it as relevant as we can to the, to the designers so that they can begin to extrapolate that information, that knowledge, that wisdom, and put it to work in a design process. So a lot of times does that also involve 
involving, you know, not just biologists, but, you know, the requirement of collaborating with um, experts from outside of the industries. Because uh, I would think that the idea from nature might be very different from, you know, the original idea was for, for, for the particular challenge that they have, right? That's right. We're, we're looking at a lot of new uh, external innovation focused by companies. They, they're really beginning to realize that they have to reach out of their own um, you know, companies' knowledge sets and, and capacity in order to get at these uh, um, real innovations. And so uh, part of the value that, that we try to bring to the table for our clients is connections to companies and researchers and, and sources of information that, could, uh, that they can connect with that they wouldn't be able to connect with otherwise. Uh, you know, a lot of companies just simply don't have um, biologists on staff, or if they do have biologists, they're not trained in, in, in interpreting biology to design. And so we play almost a broker role there where we, we can help connect the, the company with the, the most relevant research, the most effective um, you know, biology that's out there that could, that could come to bear on their, on, their, uh, on their problem. And I think that's a new thing for companies, and we're learning as we go along, too. It's the whole kind of open innovation model where you have uh, a variety of parties coming together to try to solve what you know, uh, has been an intractable challenge, um, suddenly bringing different perspectives, including biology, design, business, um, new business model thinking to bear on it is, is I, we think, how a lot of these problems are going to be solved. Mm. Well, a lot of great insight here. Um, looks like we have to take another break. Um, when we come back, we'll talk about how to develop a business model for the new innovation based on biomimicry. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. Welcome back. You're listening to Business Reinvention, and we are talking about biomimicry. Um, so before the break, Chris, you were telling us about um, you know, the long process of iteration and some of the challenges that company may face. Um, so it sounds pretty gigantic in terms of the scope of challenge. So do you think that um, biomimicry is really um, an idea for just large companies? No, I don't. We're seeing a lot of startups coming into this space, and it's very encouraging. And uh, like Tony's company, there companies there are scientists and entrepreneurs that are coming together that is, that see opportunity you know, in this field to bring uh, information from biology, apply it, and create new solutions and new solution platforms that I think are going to start hundreds, if not thousands, of new companies uh, in the coming decades. That's, and that's something that we're working on as a company too. To help provide the resources and information and tools to help entrepreneurs and, and scientists um, you know, take their ideas forward and network with other individuals, um, uh, gain uh, startup financing, some of those other things that will help this startup space get going because I think that's where a lot of the, the new creativity and the new business is going to come in our economy. Tony, what do you think? What are some advantages and disadvantages of um, working on biomimicry as a startup company? Well, I think I think the startup company, the biggest advantage you have is that it's usually the result of a scientific discovery, which has, if you will, developed from the very basic science into the point where it is transitional to a a product or a technology, or at least as a possibility. So the company's a startup is highly focused and leveraged, if you will, so that 
there's normally just one product based on that technology. And so with that kind of focus, um, everybody in the entire company is relying on it. And so I see there's a high level of motivation for success, as opposed to a large corporation where they've got numerous product lines and hundreds or thousands of people working. It's much more difficult to find enough uh, focus, if you will, to drive products forward like this from, from where we are. And I find that the large companies are waiting normally for the product to mature to the point that it actually is being tested around the market. Then I see the uh, large companies come in and um, buy that technology. So, Tony, you have been working on this for many years now. Um, I'm sure you have had some setbacks, um, and it's a very long journey, like both of you were saying. So what have kept you going? Um, what keeps me going? Scientifically, this is a fascinating um, technology. And my, my fundamental research focus is on understanding bioadhesion, and that is I really am studying it at the molecular level to understand how organisms um, search, seek, and attach to surfaces. And so when I look at it and uh, see this product technology moving forward and actually becoming something useful to society, it's the best of, I've got the best of both worlds. I mean, there's just nothing more uh, rewarding than to see your science um, actually make it into um, society for helping people. That's always a good place to start with. Um, so what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are starting their ventures in biomimicry? So first thing first is uh, you really should be focusing on a particular problem that you're solving. And I would advise everybody to make it a big problem. And bacterial infections in the hospitals today are probably one of the most significant problems that we have to face in, in our society, especially when you consider the medical health care costs. So make it a big problem. Second thing is, if you're going to start a business, you need to make sure you've got your intellectual property identified and hopefully finalized, but normally it's interim. And the third thing is, associate with a CEO and a board or a set of investors who are uh, mature, skilled, and uh, understand uh, what a startup business is. And then, you, then you've got uh, most of the tools for success. So, you know, once you develop the technology, you have to find a way to market. So can you tell us about your business model? Our business model right now is that uh, we are developing the technology and we are partnering with major players who produce various medical devices. Uh, we also have um, partnered with people who uh, work with technologies that would uh, be useful for putting anti-fouling surfaces in hospitals, schools, um, places such as that, um, restaurants. And so these people actually take our pattern film and they cut that pattern film into sections that would be applicable to door handles, uh, push bars, countertops, bed rails, and uh, various and sundry items like that. So we really have got uh, both a uh, partnership-type model set forth, but we're also looking toward potentially doing some direct marketing later. Mm. But it sounds so far like the, the approach that you have really helps you cut down your capital requirements, which I think is a huge um, advantage for, for you as a startup. Um, what about you, Chris? Um, do you also help your clients with um, development of business models? And usually what are some of the questions that you raise to kind of help them think through that process? You mean in terms of raising capital for the project? Or, uh, um, or deciding on business models? Um, I don't know if that's an area. Yeah. Deciding on which business model to, to take on this. Yeah, that's an interesting kind of new area for us as we, we've evolved uh, from starting off, let's say, 14 years ago and working really as, as biological consultants to uh, R&D departments at corporations that were trying to, under, to understand if there might be uh, biology that could be applied to their design challenges. 
And as I mentioned earlier, we've, we've evolved over time to say if we're going to really be effective at this, we have to bring a lot more to the table than the, the biological research because that biological research, if it's not contextualized in the business case, if it's not um, made relevant across the organization, it tends to get stranded within, within the company. So we've just recently began to partner with uh, other companies that, uh, that are, have deep experience in the innovation space and understand how to craft business models around technological innovation. And so that's a relatively new thing for us, but it's, it's an exciting field for us because we're now being able to, to um, extend our engagement with companies from early stage uh, envisioning of, uh, of the, the problem and the opportunity all the way through to you know, what is the business case and what could a commercial plan look like, this, uh, look like for the company as they uh, develop a new product line or um, create a new replacement chemistry or, or some of the things that they're working on. So what would be like, you know, two or three things that people should think about when they're trying to decide which business model they should have? Yeah, for us, what we're seeing, you know, first and foremost, and I'm thinking of two client examples, is, um, you know, market readiness. Is the market ready to accept uh, an innovation at, at this level, at this price point, um, having that all being driven by market considerations? And I think that there's a – we've seen in the past a lot of focus by a team within a company on the – kind of the excitement of the new technology, and there's a lot of work on the product design and the product prototype and some really exciting and deep work that's done, but it's it's done a little bit in isolation to, you know, what the market is ready for or, or what the competitive landscape is, is like for that type of innovation. So, you know, our suggestion is, and this is how we're beginning to work with companies, is that we engage across the company in developing the business case alongside the technical case for the product innovation. And that means that the, the business team of the company is at the, at, the, at the design table, so to speak. And that's a, new, that's a new thing for us. It's taking a little bit longer, and we're having to learn a whole new language around how we do that. But it's also, uh, uh, I think, going to be more effective for us in the long term. Mm, definitely. All right. It looks like we have to take another break, but please stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. All right, welcome back. You're listening to Business We Mentioned. Um, we are talking about biomimicry today. So, Chris, um, what are some of the things that we have learned about biomimicry in the last three years that we didn't know before? Uh, that's a good question. I think one of the, one of the biggest areas of uh, exploration for us and uh, kind of the, the new frontier, intellectual frontier for biomimicry is in management science uh, and or management, the art and management of of, uh, of companies. A lot of companies are are beginning to come to us now and asking us what are the ideas in biology and what are the ideas in things like neuroscience and anthropology that we could look to to help us create new management structures to help us understand what our management philosophy should be as a company that's aligning with with uh, 3.8 billion years of evolution. So those are the kinds of questions that we're that are being posed to us that are that are really exciting that we're beginning to assemble experts and, and, and research partners around to, to get at this. And, for example, we're, we were invited to participate in uh, a new network called the Management Innovation Exchange, where um, 
a lot of management professionals are beginning to ask hard questions about, you know, what is the management framework of the future as we're seeing some of the old management paradigms beginning to uh, become obsolete or, or, or less effective. What is management in the 21st century going to look like, and what can uh, nature's genius tell us about that? That's, a, that's an exciting new field for us. Yeah, that's very interesting. It seems like it's kind of extending to, um, you know, from product development to also organizational development. And I also want to mention, um, I think, another project that's been done by University of Arizona led by Ray. Rafe Sagarin, I hope I got his name right. Um, he's actually studying how to apply biomimicry to international security strategies in conflict management. And his theory is that if we look at the organisms um, in nature, we'll see that they don't try to eliminate risk, but rather they live with risk through adaptation, either by changing structures, behaviors, or interactions to meet um, challenges in the risk environment. Whereas right now, um, the way we deal risk in the human world is you know, either head on or try to eliminate our enemies. Um, so it's, it's another um, interesting idea of looking at biomimicry. Um, so do you think there is a limit to how biomimicry can be applied to? I think some of the limits that we acknowledge and, and work with uh, are when we, when we get to the field of human ethics and some of the human value systems, I think there's a, there's a natural line there because you know, humans are different than, than other organisms and we do have um, things like philosophy and ethics and religion and, and other things that don't really lend themselves to maybe uh, interpretation from, from biology. We really see the biomimicry in terms of you know, information systems, structure, processes, methods, a lot of things that have been really successful uh, in, in the non-human world for 3.8 billion years, but not necessarily applied to our value systems or some of the more advanced parts of our society. Mm. So what does the future of biomimicry look like? For us, it's, it's in the cultural realm. Again, I'll go, I'll go back to the management science. We think that the, one of the most important um, breakthroughs that, that's going to come in biomimicry is being able to align cultures, uh, management systems, um, uh, thought frameworks with the realities of the, of the natural world. And what does that mean? Uh, right now, we see a lot of companies that are organized around, uh, especially, especially production companies, manufacturing companies, uh, are organized around the, what we call the take-make-waste linear production model. And that's, that's a cultural, um, I mean, it's, a, it's an engineering and, and technical piece, but it's also a cultural mindset. We really think that biomimicry can lead to a new way of thinking, a new way of organizing, a new way of managing companies that, that take us into alignment with what we call life's principles, the way life has evolved for 3.8 billion years, and away from this kind of linear take-make-waste economy. And that's a paradigm shift, and it's, it's going to require companies and leaders and thought leaders and uh, technical people, biologists, business people, to understand the implications of, of that and be able to embrace it and, and actualize it, embed it in their, in their corporate culture. So we, we envision and hope that we'll, we'll be able to uh, lend a hand and, and uh, uh, help provide the way to aligning with these life's principles and using these life's principles to, to reimagine how we do our, our industrial system. Very interesting to see how it will evolve. Um, what about you, Tony? What do you think about the future of biomimicry and, and what will be the primary focus for your company? The primary focus for our company is going to be to further our own understanding of topographies in nature and how we can use them to uh, provide better health for the environment. And are there oh. um, particular business opportunities that you will be focusing on the next few years? Yes, we're um, primarily going to continue focusing on biomedical devices. Mm -hmm. uh, we are also uh, still heavily involved in looking, uh, looking, <laughs> working in the area of uh, marine uh, anti-fouling coatings. Oh, very exciting. Um, and I want to wish both of you all the best, and thank you so much for sharing your insight with us today. Uh, you're welcome. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so thank much you. for arranging this, Nancy. It's a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Tony. Well, I think, I think the discussion about biomimicry is fascinating, um, and I hope that you will look at things around you differently after this. 
I don't know about you, but I have newfound respect for nature. Um, I think it's a huge outdoor library that is just waiting for us to explore. And it's also kind of like a sage uh, waiting to share his wisdom with us. I think with new sense of humility, curiosity, and imagination, you may find treasure in nature that can help you with your next big idea. And I also have, I don't know, a new sense of optimism that we can develop disruptive technologies without disrupting our ecosystem. I think you know, biomimicry could be a better way of developing innovations that are more sustainable and efficient than lab-generated ideas. And that will be a day when technology can revolutionize the way we live without disrupting harmony with nature. So get in touch with nature if you haven't done so in a while and be inspired. Well, that's all for today. And this program has been brought to you by Change Agent SF Coaching and Consulting Services. Please let us know what you think about the show. Post your comment on iTunes or send an email to me. And for more news on business trends and innovation, check out my website at bizreinvention.com or follow me on Twitter at bizreinvention. And make sure to join me next week for a discussion about how companies are benefiting from crowdsourcing and where the movement is heading next. Thanks again for listening to Business Reinvention on Voice America. And I will meet you right here again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Thank you and take care. We hope that you've enjoyed Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Please join us for another edition of our groundbreaking program next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll find the inspiration for change over the coming week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email nancylin at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF.